Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a deep dive into an AIM-listed asset management company in, in Mercia Asset Management. Mercia focus on regional investments throughout the UK. We're going to be discussing the sectors that they see the greatest value in, where they're investing at the moment. And we're also going to be touching on their recent results. And to do that, we're very kindly joined by Mark Payton, who is the Chief Executive of Mercia Asset Management. Mark, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for the kind invite. So, Mark, as I said, we're going to be looking at your investment approach later on in the podcast. We're going to be looking at some of the individual companies that you've invested in. But before we do that, please would you be able to give us an introduction to yourself, please, as, as well as Mercia? Absolutely. So my own background, actually, I'm a by trade, if you like, a life sciences molecular immunologist, um, had the good fortune of uh, doing a first degree in that subject matter, as well as a postdoctoral and a PhD, a DPhil at Oxford later on, and then joined uh, the technology transfer at Oxford uh, University and was able to then join from there a spin out and very quickly learned that venture provision and, and accessing capital in a young business in the UK was very challenging. Uh, you didn't really know which manager to go to at what point. It's quite lonely as a founder, and you really could do with some support and guidance. And really, all of that led to what became the creation of Mercia. And that was back in 2007. We started life with a small £4 million fund pointed in the Midlands at regional businesses, trying to address that sort of shortfall of capital and support. Come 2010, that had sort of modestly grown to 12 million. And we had, as an organization, grown with three employees and we led a management buyout because what we wanted to do was rapidly scale this proposition and rapidly scale it across the UK and sort of roll forward to 2014. And you mentioned where AIM listed. We floated, we listed the business on AIM. We raised 70 million in uh, investor capital onto our own balance sheet. And we had at that point 22 million in third party funds, predominantly early stage funds. And you sort of roll forward now to today and there's over 130 of us now at Mercia. We've got something like 1.4 billion in assets under management and we occupy key cities across the UK. The, the aim here is to be able to access opportunities and importantly support those businesses. We have offices in London, Bristol, through Birmingham, Manchester, Sheffield, Leeds, Newcastle. And we invest across England, Wales and Scotland. And what we're able to do now is find those opportunities, support those businesses and actually take away the headache of what form of capital do I need and leave that headache to us. So we're looking for great teams, great businesses, and we'll decide whether that's early stage venture, scale up venture, whether that's private equity or debt or a combination of those three asset classes. Fantastic. And some great levels of, of growth that you just outlined there, Mark, since you got started back in 2007. But I want to speak now about investing regionally across the, the UK. Of course, there is a focus, a huge focus on, on London, particularly 
in the technology sector, of course, we had Silicon Roundabout here. So what is the, the attraction of the, the regional element of the UK? Yeah, and, and that's a really interesting and I, I think a, a poignant comment is that we, we don't come from this as a position of what can we do better than London or can London be levelled down as I often hear in the regions levelling up. I think London is a really interesting and a very efficient operation. We have a London office and 15% of what we do are London businesses, London-based businesses. But it's the 85% that we do outside of London that I think is really interesting. If you look at London, you've got quite a concentration, I would say, typically in the sort of B2C, business to consumer and fintech. If you go out of London into the regions, much uh, less of that, actually, and typically businesses that have much more modest capital needs and ones in which we can influence their trajectory and actually very often are the young businesses that we never hear about. We only ever hear about these large unicorns as they're often being uh, touted around. But of course, they all started off as early stage businesses and most early stage businesses are actually located outside of London but you just have to find them. And that's hence our city presence, as I just mentioned. I think if you're there and you can find these, it, I often am reminded of my old holidays with my kids in Cornwall, when you lift up the rocks and you find the shells and you find the nice stones, et cetera. You've got to be lifting those rocks up. So you have to be out in the regions discovering those investment prospects. The regions have real strengths across sort of the life sciences area, uh, and in particular, which is where we have quite a strong focus but also deep tech and some elements of consumer, but consumer here uh, relates very much to gaming. And we, we do probably about a quarter of the things that we do are in gaming from our venture division. And just to sort of step back and remind everybody what Mercy does, about half of what we do is venture provision. The rest of it is debt and private equity. So venture is important to us, but it's not the everything. And it's back to the point of a founding team, a management team, they just need the capital to grow the business, whether that's venture or private equity or debt. Leave that to us to, to form that judgment. Thank you. So you, you alluded to there, Mark, that there are specific sectors which are more prominent outside of, of London. But if we, if we look at any given company, for example, and you know if you compare it to a similar company that may be operating in, in London, do you see any specific advantages, competitive advantages for companies that are operating outside of London compared to those that are that are operating in London? So there are some there are many similarities and there are many differences. A number of the differences are that the regional business businesses tend to internationalize quicker. So using gaming again as a sector that we we, we do quite a lot of, you know, 85% of the revenue generated by these gaming companies tends to be overseas. So, so they tend to internationalize because they're looking, they're looking for that revenue income. And the reason why they're looking to drive income into the business is that it's much more difficult out in the regions to access capital. So you, you, you cannot offset your losses by that venture that you're raising because it's more challenging to get hold of the venture. So you obviously look to meet that through commercial income and revenue. The challenge then, of course, is how you scale that business. And that is where venture, certainly from our behalf, uh, plays a really important role. So these businesses in the regions tend to be uh, more bootstrapped, perhaps, than the London businesses. So they tend to have much more modest capital needs, as I've already uh, mentioned. But they tend to also look overseas at revenue and revenue opportunities. 
So we've obviously been discussing there about you know differences between companies in London and and outside of London. But you know when I was preparing for this podcast, I had the question, and I'm sure people listening to this will have the the same question. But does it really matter where people are based now? You know, after the pandemic, people are working from home increasingly. So you know those lines of being based in London and based outside of London in terms of an organisation are blurred to some extent because people may be working from home. It doesn't matter to some extent whether. The business is based in London or or, or based outside of, of London. So, you know, how how's that developed since the, the pandemic? And, and and is it still such a big factor now in terms of looking at that regional regional element that there may be before the pandemic? Yeah, I I, I mean this is this is a dynamic that all, all business leaders are having to deal with. Re- regional businesses tend to have much more of a sort of manufacturing slant, if I can point in that direction, or indeed life sciences. We've got, you know, we've done something like 74 university spin-out businesses over our journey, all of those from regional universities. Now, the life science businesses, the manufacturing businesses, tend to require people in the lab or in the manufacturing facility. So there is a locality uh, piece that's very important. If you look to software and fintech um, in particular, and we do, do do software, fintech is not something that we typically do. And um, that that is a very that's not just even a, a workforce outside of London or can they be based in Manchester or where they they can very often be based outside of the UK. The software developers, for instance, are typically based outside of the UK. So outside of the creative industries, um, I think, yeah, there is a there is a dynamic and global workforce. Absolutely. But within the regions, there tends to be a physical presence for a majority of the operation because of the inherent um, nature of that particular business. Thank you. So we've discussed some of the sectors that that you you look at outside of of London. But you know, just before we move on and speak more about Mercia and, and, and the recent report, would you be able to just go over, please, Mark? You know, some some of those sectors specifically, because I think that will set us up mm. nicely for the rest of the conversation that Mercia are in, investing. You mentioned obviously life sciences and, and, and gaming. You know, in terms of your investment approach, do you have set sectors that you that you look for is there are there any funds within Mercia that are, that are sector agnostic or, or, or you really set out to invest in certain types of businesses so I think that the top line here is that our capital is sector agnostic so we are very much a generalist and and that's because of the cyclical nature in terms of stage and sectors of businesses that we don't want to be caught out when a sector goes out of fashion for instance That said, what we do is we have, certainly within our venture, we have four very clear capabilities and uh, I would say competencies, which are, you know, discreetly there, health tech and life sciences, that's one area that we're very interested in. Uh, Deep tech is another area that we're very interested in. Software and sort of artificial intelligence connected with that is another area. And then consumer, but by consumer, we would include gaming in there. So that that sort of consumer engagement, such as gaming, is another. And the sort of creative digital media is another sector. That's our fourth sector. They're also interplay between those. So we've backed businesses that are, if you like, a health tech and AI combination with software. We've got deep tech that has software and AI combinations as well. So although they are on face value standalone sectors, they're interconnected. And that's... You know, when you have a business of Mercia scale, we've got over 
over 500 companies within our portfolio as well. That interconnectivity is a central theme. We bring our businesses together so they can share learning together as well as we look to promote not just individual companies, but the growth of our entire portfolio. Great. We're going to be speaking about some of those portfolio companies a little bit later on in the in the podcast. But I just want to go back to your recent uh, preliminary results for, for, for the year ended 31st of March. And as you mentioned, Mark, back in 2007, you, st- you started off with four million under management. And just looking here, AUM uh, for the, the year through to 31st of, of March stood at 1.4 billion. And that's a significant jump from the, the prior year when it was around 950 million. So a huge jump there over the last year, Mark. What was the main driver for that big jump in AUM? So, I mean, before I answer, if I can just step backwards to look at the nature of the capital of the of the money we manage. And we put that into three discrete pots. We have um, retail private investors money that is typically invested through what they term enterprise investment scheme, EIS money, or through venture capital trust, VCT. So there's one pool of money there. Another pool of money is um, via institutional funds, such as pension funds, often regional pension funds, again, that we manage. And a final piece is through uh, British Business Bank. And British Business Bank are predominantly looking to make sure they can address equity gaps, such as within the regions, and we manage a portion of that capital. So you can split that and that splits quite nicely, almost in thirds across what we do as a house. And predominantly what we're doing is managing other people's money for obviously a commercial return. Roll back to, as you quite already said, about 960 million just over 12, year, uh, 12 months ago. At the, the growth has been through two fronts, through those three pools of capital being topped up through various investors into existing funds. And that's brought in approximately 130 million to the group. And then we made an acquisition, Frontier Development Capital, based here in Birmingham. And FDC are a debt provider. And so, and a debt provider almost exclusively through institutional capital. And that acquisition took place um, about seven months ago now and has bedded in extremely well. So that's been the drivers to our capital growth. I think it's quite important, and uh, you often hear this certainly within the London, within the city context, when asset managers are discussed, you hear about a thing called redemptions, where during difficult, challenging economic times, investors pull their money back out again, they redeem their capital, and therefore you have declining assets under management. The fund pools, the pools of capital I've just described are, are permanent capital, they're capital there to be deployed. And so they're not subject to redemption. So we have capital that continues to grow. And that's really important back to the portfolio we just talked about, is that you've got a dependable form of capital to support those businesses, not on the first investment, but thereafter. And if you sort of look at um, where Mercia is today, of that 1.4 billion we just talked about, circa 380 million of that is what we call unrestricted cash. In other words, that's cash to support existing portfolio. And I think importantly, to make new investments going forwards too. Great. Thank you. So now, if we may, Mark, let's move on now and, and look at some of the individual companies, look at the, the, the sectors that you are investing in. And, and I note that gaming has been one that's received a lot of in, interest from Mercia. So 
Would you be able to give us a bit of detail in terms of what your investments look like there in, in terms of how that sits within the, the rest of the portfolio in terms of percentage allocation, maybe if you have anything uh, on that, so that will give a good insight mm. in, into how interested Mercia are actually in the, uh, in, in the sector. And, and also, what are the attractions of the UK gaming sector as well? Yeah, well, starting on the, the latter and going forward, so the, the attractions of the gaming sector you know, it's, it's part of what they call the sort of creative industries within the UK. And the UK is leading the charge in creative industries globally. And in terms of gaming, actually is ahead of all of Europe. So, so the UK is very much a hotbed for, for gaming, gaming development. And we talked about the 1.4 billion of assets under management that Mercia has. Approximately 200 million of that is our own, what we term proprietary capital, our balance sheet money, our own cash resources that we had initially raised when we floated and subsequently raised further money on the city. And we use that money to either invest in new funds as we look to catalyze and drive new initiatives with LP funds going forwards, or to invest selectively in businesses coming out of those funds. And so to your point about the degree of allocation, if we focus on that balance sheet capital, that proprietary capital, approximately a quarter, 20 to 25% of that capital you could class as related to the creative industries and gaming. And what we've done there in our funds is not looked at mature, profitable businesses that are trading and can we ride that wave of continued revenue growth. We've looked at um, people from typically the creative industries and typically located outside of London, because that's where we tend to find those businesses in clusters outside of London, who have got new ideas and new concepts. So Endreams, we backed through our, um, I mentioned retail capital, our EIS funds some years ago. And it was a, a small team who were interested in exploring the potential of virtual reality, but in a very high-end creative basis, a really engaged, high-end creative digital basis. Today, they are now, by headcount, um, one of, if not the largest studios developing VR. So a real privilege, actually, to be with that business on a huge growth um, spurt. The, another great example, back to why the regions, uh, Preston-based business, originally called Soccer Manager, now called Invincibles, developing a soccer manager platform that can go across mobile, go across console, go across many sort of platforms to, to play that game, is um, growing very, very fast. And a majority, as I alluded to before, a majority of its income is outside of the UK. So that is a truly global business. And these gaming businesses, if they've got a product that is appealing, can scale on a global basis very, very quickly. So that's just that's just two examples of uh, businesses that we've backed and had the honor really of supporting from concept through to scaling revenue. Great. So you know, in terms of gaming, there's and, and you obviously mentioned there that they sit within what you would call the, the creative industries. But of course, there, there's a lot of tech and in some mm. cases, deep tech behind uh, a gaming company. So are, are there any specific technologies that you like the look of in terms of, of, of gaming and, and maybe some technologies within the, the portfolio that you've invested in, which you think have, have got significant legs going forwards? 
Well, I think, I mean, I've just mentioned End Dreams and the, the remarkable thing. And actually, uh, in their um, headquarters, in their studio, they have the very first VR headset, which is an absolute behemoth, all the way through to, to the latest things coming through. And we've got Apple's augmented reality headset coming through. The change and pace of that has been remarkable, actually. And in the early days, it, you, know, you had something that ran out of charge in an instance. You had so many wires coming out of it that its interplay and interactivity was very limited to the individual. You now look at these augmented reality where you're, you can, you're not tripping over your furniture because you're seeing through. I mean, it's amazing, actually. What we've always tried to steer clear of at Mercia, though, is not to back the headset, but to back the enabling technology behind it. And I think enabling tech is probably something that singles us out. So the deeply capital-intensive um, hardware development within VR is somebody is on somebody else's shoulders. What we have is the creative enabling software and tech and algorithms, which now link more tightly than ever to AI as well as they learn and develop. Uh, we have that linked into third-party hardware. And that, I think, is something that really does sort of single Mercia's out, Mercia out as its, as its investment thesis. And back to, we're looking for businesses that don't need 100, 200, 400 million of investment, they need 10, 20, 30 million of investment. And that that last point is really important um, because I mentioned earlier about the cyclical, cyclical nature of venture is that you have a thing in venture, which I've seen unfortunately through now three cycles, which is um, when venture falls out of favor or capital removes is removed from the system, you have something that we term syndication risk. And that's if you're putting... If you've put 10 million sterling into a business consuming 100 to 200 million and suddenly those third parties stop supporting, no matter how enthusiastic you are for that business, you do not have the capital means to continue its support. And those businesses tend to fail before they flourish. Our model is very much being in the fact that if syndication risk materializes and it is very much starting to materialize in the current environment, we can continue to support that business. And that, again, is a sort of single feature that we really put ourselves out for. And the regions play really well to that because of the fact that they typically have quite modest capital needs in themselves for their, their regional businesses. So would that mean, Mark, that you, you tend to look for the earlier stage businesses, especially for your own capital pool? Because if you're looking for companies that you can support through the life cycle, you know, that would mean that you were getting in to some extent at the, the beginning, so you, you can be there through that process. And if you need to step in later down the line. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's a, I mean, that's a really important uh, observation is that actually we do the lot. So we'll, we, we can typically invest anything from as little as 200, 500,000 pounds up to 10 to 20 million pounds. We'll typically invest in a, in a team of two who've got a really neat idea that is at proof of concept, but no further. And we'll help them generate that and grow that all the way through to supporting them, scaling revenue into profitability. And as I said, if it's a deep tech and there's a capital expenditure that they need to fund, we'll look at debt provision as well. So we're able to be that one stop shop from very early stage all the way through and just let management focus on growing the business and leave the challenge to us in terms of how we support that growth and which financial instrument we should use. Thank you. So, Mark, you mentioned a little bit earlier on AI. So I think it would be good to address that, given the excitement that we see out there in markets for 
artificial intelligence, particularly generative AI at the moment. So mm. it'll be good to get a bit of thinking on on AI from Mercia's perspective in terms of are you looking for maybe individual companies which are really focused on, on AI that are, that are coming up with specific technologies? Or are you looking for maybe companies that are bringing in AI to, to enhance their their process within the business and, and, and help maybe profitability and efficiencies uh, down the line? Uh, so it'd be good to get some, some insight into your thinking there. Yeah, absolutely. There, there are very few transformational technologies that we get to witness coming through and, and AI is one of those. However, it's transformational not on its own, but it's interplay with existing approaches. So we don't look at backing AI standalone per se. What we're looking at is the interconnectivity of AI. So, so for instance, we've backed a couple of businesses that are looking at drug screening and the speed of which those businesses develop and which their screening compounds develop through that interplay with AI is just remarkable, actually. So we're looking, I mean, AI, I think, is a transformative um, technology. I think it's already commoditizing. It's, it, you know, everybody knows about AI. More and more people are using it. And most businesses, if they're not using it, they are evaluating it on how to use it. It's all about productivity gain, efficiency gain, and constant learning. Um, and, and I think in a, an environment where accessing skilled individuals is just challenging, we have a very tight labor force, particularly across the technology sector. AI is seen as a holy grail, really, to address that problem, improve efficiency and productivity, and drive the next generation of growth from many tech businesses, whether it's life sciences, whether it's software, whether it's in the gaming space in particular, those three sectors of the four we look at, AI will be pretty much an interoperable piece of every single sector we're looking at. Fantastic. Thank you. So moving on now, and this is for me personally, one of the most interesting bits, I think, of this podcast. And it's really drilling down now, Mark, if we may, into some of the individual portfolio companies. You have mentioned some, but it would be good to, to get greater insight into other portfolio companies that you've made investments in recently or, or have had particularly exciting developments recently and, and get a good idea of the breadth of the, the Mercia portfolio. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's a real privilege, actually. We have so many different businesses at so many different stages, but I always think it's quite useful to look at the later stage businesses that are delivering and just reflect on their early part of their journey, if that makes sense. And, and what, what one that st stands out straight away, because we talked about the Mercia IPO back in 2014. So in 2014, myself, um, Martin Glanfield, who's Mercia's CFO, were walking around the city trying to raise money for our IPO. Uh, and I was carrying a very large supermarket sh um, shopping bag full of bits of gadgets and stuff. And in there was Warwick Acoustics speaker technology. So Warwick Acoustics had this early stage concept of a, a cardboard thick speaker that um, used very low energy, very high quality sound, uh, very lightweight and flexible. You could bend it in different directions. Remarkable piece of kit. It had a few technical challenges to overcome. And over the time, it overcame those technical challenges. But of course, the thing that's come through that 
many people would not have predicted at the time was the accelerated delivery of hybrid vehicles and electric vehicles, where and also rare earth materials, metals being so expensive for speakers, which are, are, are within speakers. And we can all in our minds imagine how heavy those speakers are now. Just imagine lifting a piece of cardboard up. That's a Warwick acoustic speaker. Within cars, there are something between 10 and 30 of these speakers. So that weight, that power consumption, uh, the fact that the doors are as wide as they are in your car is often because of the speaker that's inside them. Now replace that with this concept of cardboard as a speaker. They're, They're not made of cardboard, but that sort of thickness and that lightweight. You have something that truly is transformative in the speaker industry. And that's a business now that's partnered with a number of automotives to roll that speaker out. You can have that speaker in the the lining above your head. You can have it in the headset. You can have it in the door panels that round the edges in the dashboard. These speakers will go just about everywhere. And that has been an absolutely terrific journey watching that business start up from an interesting, it was a University of Warwick spin out, an interesting concept of a speaker that frankly sounded like one of those happy birthday cards when you open it and it sings to you, that sort of thing, to now the highest quality sound you can imagine. You will not hear anything better than comes out of that speaker. So I think that's a great example. That's a deep tech play, and it does show how long this technology in deep tech arena can take to develop. But that is something that I think many of us will see in the future cars coming through that really will be pervasive coming through. I think think that's a lovely example of the the early stage journey through now to a revenue high revenue growth business that will be installing um, out there. And I remember the academic originally, his main driver here was, I just want to see this out in the public. I want to see public benefit from this. And, and that will be delivered, that's for sure. Great. So final point now, Mark, in terms of... Maybe if we bring in some of the, the macro elements at the moment, you know, of course, we're looking at interest rates mm. you know, at elevated levels, looking to plateau here for, for some time. So it'd be good to, to get some, some insight into how you're bringing in the, the macro element to things and, and where you're going to be investing going forward over the next 12 months and whether that macro environment has any impact on that and and maybe a little bit about specific sectors as well because obviously we've been outlining that you know the the life sciences and gaming for example you know whether there are any new sectors that you're going to be looking at going forward or is it going to be very much more of the same you're focused on these sectors and it's just looking for new opportunities within, within those particular sectors yeah now i mean the the first um uh broad observation is the best investments are made in the most uncertain times which sounds counterintuitive, but I look back on our track record and the economic downswings or the economic challenging areas, they are definitely where we've made our best investments. So now is not the time to stop investing. And if I can put that into context over the last sort of three years, our investment run rate has just been climbing and climbing. We've gone from, we deployed 94 million, that rose to 124. It rose to 165 in this last financial year. And we expect that to go over 200 million in this year. So we're not slowing down. That's a 30% growth, over 30% growth per annum of capital deployed. We will be investing further. The interest rates piece is interesting because as you know, I look at the debt funds that we manage, when the banks retrench and when company, uh, when banks stop lending or turn down their lending, that's generally where we turn ours up. 
And we're seeing great businesses and great opportunities here. And we're very much open for business in terms of our debt division. Same with our private equity division. And in the venture, of course, we, we talk about early stage businesses. We're not talking about what does the next two years mean for this business that we're backing at an early stage. We're looking at six, seven, eight years time. So we're trying to imagine what the, and back to the Warwick Acoustics thing, you're trying to imagine not what it looks like in two years time, but in eight years time, what will the environment look like? What will the world be like? So actually investing now is a good thing. And that really takes you to one of the future things we're looking at. It's all about net zero. It is absolutely, whether that is 2030, 2040, 2050, dependent on the, the color of the government, if you like, net zero is, is instrumental on a societal and global challenge. And technology is not the only solution, but it's going to be a big part of that solution. And we back businesses like Nova Pangea and other businesses are looking at alternative fuel sources. Energy storage, I think, is a really interesting place as well. So anything linked to net zero is very much on our radar at the moment. So I did, I did say that was the last point, Mark, but there's something that you said there which was, was actually quite interesting. So th- this will be the final one. And, and, and it reminds me of a conversation that I did have earlier on this year with another UK-based VC. And at the time that they they said, you know, over that uh, that last year prior to that, they made about 100 investors investments. But before that, in the year before that, they made about 10, less than 10. You can count them, count them on your hands. And it sounds like it's it's the same for, for for Mercio as well. So it'd be good to get a little bit of insight into, into what's driving that. Just to finish off, is, is that a case that there's just simply better valuations? You see more attractive opportunities out there in in companies, and and, and you want to to use maybe the the macro backdrop at the moment, which which isn't particularly fantastic as an opportunity to to take stakes in in these particular companies or, or is it as you alluded to that you know banking finance is, is drying up and you're looking to step in and, and, and plug that gap to some extent yeah we very much I, I guess class ourselves almost as an impact investor you know we we make a difference with our capital be, being deployed particularly across the regions as well and when you're in times like this so you've got overseas capital is withdrawn from the UK um, you've got uh, public markets are pretty much closed. So that access to capital for young businesses is no longer there. You have other, other venture providers actually sitting on their hands at the moment, scratching their heads what to do. And you don't so much have valuation crashes, but valuations are softening, I would say, and are certainly not going up. So when you bring all those features together, there is a myriad of opportunities to select from. So it's not one thing that's causing this. It's a collection of things coupled with the fact that there is just less capital being deployed at the moment. So there are, by default, more opportunities for those that want to go out and find them. Mark, thank you very much. That's That's been really, really interesting. Just as a note to listeners, do check out the notes to this podcast because they'll be linked through to the Mercia Asset Management website. We'll be able to find some more information. So Mark, thank you much for being with us today. Absolute pleasure. And thank you for the kind invite. And thank you very much to everyone for listening. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.